open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. And as you're doing that, I will pray for us, not only as we come to God's Word, as I typically do in a sermon, but I will also pray for our church, for our community, as Todd does during this time as well. So as you open up to God's Word, Mark chapter 14, let's go to Him in prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to You this morning, we come to You as Your people. We come to You as those who You came to this earth to save. And as we do so, we know that there are many things that come along with that. There are that we are called a, a people according to your pleasure, that we are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are called a people set apart by God. We are called sons and daughters of God. And so many times we hear and read these distinctions concerning your church. And Father, we feel like we have fallen way short of what you would have for us what we as a church should be doing and should be thinking, should be praying about and so forth. And so, Father, as we come to you today, we come to you for mercy, not only in dealing with those ways that we have fallen short of your glory, but also we come to you for rest, to know that we don't have to do everything. To know that you love us even in spite of ourselves. That you have have us, your people, from the foundations of the earth. That it was your plan to die for us before we were even known. And so Lord, we pray that as we come together today, as we go throughout this week, that we would rest in that reality. That you would help us to see We are thankful for the things that you have done for us as a church, that we look back at at our beginnings and just just know that there's no way without you and what you've done. And so we give you all praise and glory and honor. And we pray that as we live our lives, as we go to work, as we just talk to people in the community, as we see the different people in our family and our friends and and co-workers and whatever it may be, that you would be glorified, that that we would be able to lead others to you, not only those who do not believe, but those who believe that we would be able to comfort and strengthen them in their walk as we are comforted and strengthened ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us that hope. That you would help us to remember the truth found in your word. And so, Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would help us. Because like we were just saying, so many times, even though we read it and it's plain and it's so good, we want to make it say other things that somehow make us glorious or the victor or something else entirely. We like to be the hero of our own stories, but in reality, you are the hero. And so, Lord, help us to worship you as such 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, this morning we'll be in Mark 14, starting at verse 66. As I read through this chapter and studied this and even prepared for this over the coming weeks and knowing that this was kind of coming, it made me think of all the different church camps and youth conferences that I went to as a kid and even then as a youth pastor. And I often heard lots of really bad illustrations, like so many. So many. And many times whole sermons would be kind of crafted around these really bad illustrations as opposed to being crafted around scripture. But there was always one that just stuck out to me that was just horrible because it always made me question my faith. It made me question whether or not even my faith was reasonable. And it was a story about a church that was full of people on a Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, these masked people come into the church and they start to threaten the lives of everyone that's in the church and they say you uh if, if you denounce christ you can leave and so several people in the congregation a lot of people in the congregation get up and they walk out and then once they all leave the people with the masks pull their masks off and they say good now we can have church You've probably heard that story or some variation of it, I'm sure. And those who stayed get to rejoice in their victory under pressure and their ability to earn their way to heaven by not being afraid. It's very likely. Again, you've heard that. I've even heard some guys try to pass it off as a true story, which is really funny to me. Whatever the case, it's always left me thinking, well, what about Peter? Because even as an unbeliever, I knew that Peter had denied Christ. It's a common thing. It's known in the culture that he denied Christ. And yet he also preached in the book of Acts. And many, many people were saved. And he wrote books that are now found in our New Testament. Peter denied Christ. And so it always made me wonder, well, what about Peter? It always made me sad even thinking, That I couldn't even live up. It left me with questions. You've probably had these experiences as well. And so as we come to our text today, the text where Peter denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows, and you've all read this one before and you all know it, we're going to come face to face with a few things. And first, we're going to come face to face first with our obligation then to deny self rather than to deny Christ and how that's important. There's a component of our faith that requires us to stand up for what we believe and to be counted as Christ's followers. Absolutely. Second, though, we're going to see what happens to us when we don't do that. Inevitably, in our lives, we'll have times when we are the ones who wouldn't be included in the quote-unquote real church service in that stupid illustration from those itinerant youth pastor people. And so as we look at this text, I'm going to divide that into two points. And it's real simple. When we deny Christ and then when we deny self. And so look with me now at Mark chapter 14, 66 through 72. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark 14 starting at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, 
one of the servant girls of the high priest came, seeing Peter warming himself. She looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just for some context, remember, Jesus was arrested and the disciples fled after he was arrested. But one of those disciples who fled, Peter, we read last week, decided that he'd be brave and that he would kind of see what was going on and that he would follow this progression to the high priest's house. And if you were going to pick out one disciple to do this, as you read through the Gospels, all four of them, to get this big full picture of who Peter is, we would probably pick Peter as the one who was going to decide, you know what, I'm brave after all, and go and follow them. Because he is usually the first one to step up and to speak out. He's usually that guy. He's usually He was the first one, remember, to get out of the boat when Jesus said, come to me in the middle of the water, and he went to Jesus in the middle of the water. His problem wasn't being the first one to act. He was really good at that. His problem was being the last one to think, which he demonstrates here. So he flees when the army comes to arrest Jesus, but he walks right back to the Maw of the Beast on purpose, and he kind of stands there around the fire just trying to blend in a little bit. Jesus' trial would have been this loud spectacle. If you remember what I was talking about last week, there was a lot of shouting. There was a lot of, you know, they beat Jesus and they spit on him. There was this, this big ordeal. We get the idea from Luke. We're going to look at that passage in just a little bit, Luke 22. But the people there could see the whole thing. It wasn't as if it was indoors and the trial was indoors and they were all outside kind of waiting and wondering. No, this whole thing was an open forum. You could see what was going on. And so Peter had a front row trial, or a front row seat to Jesus' trial as he is being grilled by these authorities, as he's being spit upon and, and beaten. This is a very tense situation, right? You can kind of feel it. If you were there and you were seeing this happen and someone being judged unjustly and then spit on and then beat, you, if you were there, you would be like, I just want to leave, especially if you were on Jesus' side. This kind of mob mentality building. I don't know if you've ever... Most of you, I'm sure, have been to this a really tense sporting event, and you're around a bunch of strangers. This is kind of the best thing that I can think about it as. I went to a game once, and it was the Cardinals versus the Cubs, and it was at Bush, but we sat on, it was me and my friend Sean, and we sat on the Cubs side of Bush Stadium, and we were in the middle of just Cubs fans, and so we felt this real tension there. And you know this tension, right? Because when your team is doing really good, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, you're high-fiving people you don't even know. You're excited about. There's this whole thing that's building. Whereas if your team is doing really bad or they're struggling for just a little bit, there's this common enemy. 
And it's the other team. And you're, you feel that against the people that are sitting on the other side of the gym, even though you don't even know them. There's just, you're just kind of feeling it. And this is happening here as Peter's standing by this fire. There's this mob mentality kind of building. Peter's stuck on the side of the offending team. The people recognize that he might be one of the bad guys. And that's kind of where we're at in our story. Brings me to the first point. When we deny Christ. Look with me at 66 and 67. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. And so as the tension of this courtroom is building, this courtyard, I guess is a better way to think about it, is building and it's getting to this climax, you kind of get this idea that the people are also building up as well. If you turn the page, you definitely see that. They're shouting to kill the man the next day. So there's this tension building in the mob. And so the calm around the fire is slowly turning to not so calm. All right, because again, they're ready to, they see Jesus as bad. They see the Jewish authorities as good and making the right decision, getting rid of this, this man who's causing so much trouble. We get this from the accusative tone that Peter is receiving here. They're not just simply wondering, are you Jesus's friend? That's not just something to wonder as Jesus is being beat five feet away from them. So perhaps the light hit him just right. This little girl standing there must have recognized him somehow from previous week in the, in the temple as Jesus was there in the temple the previous week. Remember, it wasn't like Jesus had just kind of quietly existed in Jerusalem the previous week leading up to this. He had a victory parade coming into the city, remember, where people were laying their coats down and palm branches down, shouting Hosanna in the highest as this man marched into the city. And then he went into the temple promptly and overturned the courts of the money changers and the courts of those selling things, and he drove them out of the temple. This wouldn't have just gone away. Oh, that's just a standard temple happenings. No, this was a big deal. And then he proceeds to destroy every argument of the smart people in the temple as they asked all these questions and he made them look silly. So for some reason, Jesus stuck out to this little girl, as did Peter, and she remembered Peter's face and she said something. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. So imagine this kind of happening, right? The servant girl says something all of a sudden and there's this all this weight behind what she says. We don't know how old the girl is. It wasn't like she was the priest's daughter or anything. She was just a servant. So you'd think that people would hear this, right? This servant girl standing around the fire with a bunch of other people. And she says this. You'd think that people would just kind of like, oh, this is a little girl talking. And just dismiss it. But Peter doesn't. He hears it and immediately feels threatened, right? Oh, I'm outed. Look at 68. How do we know? But he denied it. And not just denied it, but pretended to not even know what she was talking about. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then he really gave himself away. He went out to the gateway. He like just left the little fire. He didn't dismiss it at all. He went out to the fire and then the rooster crowed to remind us, oh yeah, I remember now. So he didn't. He didn't deny it. Or he, he denied it, denying even understanding what she was talking about as if she was speaking some other kind of language or something. 
And you know the rooster crowing probably would have signaled to Peter, you're doing the thing now. That thing that Jesus said you was going to do and you said, no, I'll die for you instead. Remember that? Peter, you're doing that. And so the girl probably follows him and starts to recruit some others for this recognition. Right? Verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, kind of like bringing in the crowd to help her, to help kind of bring her story to the truth. Bring this crowd, she says, this man is one of them. But again, he denies it. And then some time passes. Luke tells us it was an hour that passed. In the meantime, you know, after this little tense interaction between this little girl and Peter, everyone's staring, looking at him, they're thinking, yeah, I do remember seeing them together. You know, they're they're starting to kind of put the pieces together. Not only that, Peter had spoken by this point and said a few things, probably loudly, and he sounded different than everybody. I grew up in the boot hill of Missouri, right on the river, and we just sounded different than people from, say, Jefferson City, Missouri, which is like the capital and it's up in the north, and we, we weren't like them. We sounded different. If I went up there and visited or did something in Jefferson City, they would say, where are you from? Because they knew that I sounded different than everybody there. Peter was a Galilean. He couldn't hide the fact that he was from the country and he was standing in the midst of city folk. And so the next person says, certainly you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And so now it's real, right? Now it's real. Peter gets it there. They all know what's going on. Verse 71. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know this man of whom you speak. So he calls down a curse on himself. What does this mean? This means that if he is lying, his life would be forfeit. That's what it means that he's doing. If I'm lying, strike me down. I do not know this man. And right when this happens, as soon as this happens, what happens? The rooster crows. And I want us to see this other thing that happens too. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Is I'm going to read Luke's account of this. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 54. Because Luke adds something to this that is, uh, is helpful. And to me is, is, is convicting and comforting at the same time. And I think you'll see what I mean. Verse 54, And they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them, and the servant girl, seeing him, seeing him as he sat at the light and closely looked at him, said, This man was with them. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with them, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately he was still speaking. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, look at this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He saw his Lord looking at him while he was saying, I do not know this man. And it wasn't like Jesus was sitting there calmly in the courtroom. Just waiting for his trial, you know, so he could get this over with. He was being beat. He was being spit upon. He was being screamed at. Jesus took this moment in this horrible ordeal to look at Peter. Peter was a strong one in the group. He was the brave one. He was the smart one. He had all the answers to all the questions. And this little girl questioned him and he ran. It only took a servant, a little servant girl, to show him the hidden darkness of his heart. His infatuation with his self was so ingrained in him that even while his Lord was being beaten in front of him, he denied it. He denied him. He denied Jesus rather than denying himself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the strongest among us have to take heed here. If you think you're stronger than Peter and that you would do better, you don't know yourself very well. Don't know yourself at all, is what I would say. We'd like to think that when we're faced with the same kind of trial, that maybe we could do better. That maybe we would stand next to Jesus and defend him. That maybe we wouldn't run when the little girl asks us a question. But the truth is, for us, for you and I, that we fall away to so much less every single day when it comes to our faith and when it comes to those things that we call our convictions. We do things every day that are akin to denying Christ as if we were to say, Christ, I've never met the guy. And you know what? I could make a long list for us of ways that we do this. And that list would eventually include everyone in the room. But the problem with lists is that we tend to elevate them to the position of authority If I said, this is exactly how you're denying Jesus every day, just like we have here in this picture, right, with Peter actually doing it, saying, I deny Jesus, or I I don't know him. If we had a list of the things that we could maybe do, we'd likely get a pen and paper out, and we'd write them down like our own little legalism checklist, and then you would look at it and say, well, I'm good. At the end of the day, we would say, you know what? Got all that nailed. And that's the problem with sin, as it sits at the surface, just waiting. It doesn't need a whole lot to climb up to the surface and to break through. For Peter, it was just this little girl asking him a simple question. Weren't you with Jesus? He ran at first, remember, but he decided to come back. He had all the appearances of kind of riding the ship as if he was going to stand next to Jesus. But this little girl questioned him, and then he began to rain down curses on himself rather than say, yes, I know Jesus. When we make this something about something, you know, if we make it something like the story that I gave you earlier, something that's never likely to happen to us, like being asked to deny Christ in front of a servant girl or the terrorist in, in my church camp story, it's easy to put ourselves in the hero spot. Well, I'd stand for Jesus. I'd be right there in the real church service with the real Christians. Yet when it comes to something as simple as loving others more than we love ourselves, 
We'd call down curses on ourselves rather than do that thing. And when we do that, we deny Christ. So what should we do? That brings us to the next point. When we deny self. So Peter and Jesus have this look. They exchange looks. Peter realizes what happens. All the Gospels then tell us that he went and cried about it. And not just like, man, that really upsets me. But he went and wept bitterly. He had this moment of realization. This whole flood of emotions comes forward. You've all kind of had this experience, right? Where you had this big welling up, welling up, welling up. And just some little thing happens and all of a sudden just blah. It all comes out. You couldn't hold it off anymore. This extreme grief, sadness, all the guilt that he's feeling, everything just comes forth. Peter watched them arrest Jesus. They tried him in an unjust court. They spit on him. They beat him. And if I was Peter, I'd like to think that the first times that I would, I, at, during this time, when I, if, if I was Peter and I had just denied him and I was upset, I'd like to, to think back to all those times that I first met Jesus, of all the good memories that I had with Jesus, how he had never done anything wrong to me or anyone else for that matter, and how I couldn't stand with him then in his greatest need, and I'd feel this real guilt. And I say that with some authority because I go through that process all the time when I consider my own sin. I look back to those first days when I was a believer and how wonderful they were. Why can't it just be like those days when I first met Jesus? It was so nice then. I loved him so much. Can't we just go back to those days? Wouldn't it be nice if Peter could just go back to that time when when Jesus praised Peter for his confession? That time when Jesus gave him his name, right? Peter, which means rock. He wasn't feeling too much like a rock at this point. Jesus knew all of this was going to happen, of course. It wasn't like he was really hoping Peter would pull through and he didn't. He knew that it wasn't going to, he knew it wasn't going to pull through. He said he was going to deny him three times. And he gave Peter some instructions. Let's look again in Luke 22. Or you can just listen either way. Luke 22, he gave Peter some instructions, verses 31 and 32. This is when they're in the upper room together. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And this is great right here. And when you have turned... Because what's going to happen to Peter? He's going to turn away, right? When you have turned, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Well, Peter turns again. He didn't run in despair and end his own life like another man that we've read about in this chapter. Instead, he went to Jesus. He found forgiveness. Absolutely. He became a leader in the first century church, not as their perfect sinless leader, of course, but as one who showed people and taught people how to repent. 
Only someone who realizes their need for Christ will come to him in repentance. And only those who come to him in repentance have any hope at all for salvation. What did Jesus say in the very opening chapter of this book? What was his message to the world? Repent and believe. And it hasn't changed. We're in chapter 14. And if you think you're the hero that would never deny him, then you don't realize your need of him. When we don't think that we need Jesus and we don't know that we need Jesus, we're in a really scary place. Just read Judas's story. It doesn't end well. But when we come to the realization that we absolutely need him, 100%, we're in the best possible place that we could be. Jesus did not come to this earth to pat heroes on the back. He came to save sinners like you and me. He came to love people who repent and turn back to him. And he came to accept them into his open arms. We must come to the place where we deny ourselves. Deny our ability to even help ourselves. Deny our ability to be even the least bit good without him. Deny our ability to stand up for him without him. And in those times, that is when we will understand that he's been holding on to us the whole time. Every step of the way. And there's real freedom there, brothers and sisters in Christ. When you finally realizing, wow, I don't have to hold myself up. Jesus is so good. Not only that, it's that realization that allows you then to help others. Like Jesus said to Peter, when you turn again, strengthen them. Peter's letters to the church are full of this theme, both of them. First and second Peter are both very full of this theme, comforting fellow believers that are struggling with life, with difficulty in standing for Jesus in difficult times. Please read first and second Peter. I strongly encourage you. Turn with me to first Peter chapter five, and we'll just look at one of these instances. First Peter chapter five, verses eight through eleven. And I love this instruction to the people. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever. Amen. So understand this. This is the Peter that wrote those words to the church all those years ago. This is the Peter that looked at Jesus in the face while Jesus was being beaten and denied him anyway. And now he writes, the God of grace himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you for all eternity. And it's not because Peter finally figured it out 100%. It's because Jesus took his denial and he nailed it to the cross. Peter is right now with Jesus because Jesus is good, not because Peter got better. 
And if you think you're going to outgrow that truth somehow, that you're going to get to a place in your life as a Christian where you're like, okay, I finally get the gospel, now on to the next step. That's not going to happen. We're going back to square one all over again. We need to redo that every single day because every single day we struggle with this simple truth. And it's why we preach the gospel here every single week. Because I know you need it because I know I need it. Jesus came to save his people from their sins that they might have eternal life. He asked for faith and he asked for repentance from you. And here's the great thing. These things he gives you so that you might call out to him in faith and repentance. And that message is the same whether or not you're a believer. If you're, if you're relearning and rehearing the gospel, if you're someone that's hearing it for the first time, call out to Jesus and find rest. And so church, for us again, the time here isn't for us to lead with, with bravery rather than to lead with repentance. It's people who just aren't brave. The most comforting thing that you can do for another Christian is tell them that you need repentance just like they do. Not only do you need it, but that you have to live by it. It's a part of who you are. We live in a world that makes it harder and harder for us to follow Christ. So we need to be careful when we see fellow believers struggling in their faith. The best thing that we can do for them is encourage them to strengthen them. And so in conclusion, there are going to be times when we are faced with denying Christ. And these times sneak up on us. They get us at the most when all seems well with the world. Just like Peter said, he roars, he, he, he seeks who he's going to destroy. He, he roams about Satan. Remember, there is forgiveness at the cross. Go to Jesus, find forgiveness, find comfort for your soul. Give others that same hope. When you turn again, strengthen them as well. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you now, we come to you understanding that even on our best days, we are the least heroic people we know. That we need you. We need you for faith, repentance. We need you to stand up for you. And so, Lord, help us. Be with us now and always. Not only as we understand our own faith and grow in your mercy and grace, but also as we give this message to a dying world that has no other hope but you. And, Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen.